Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you think about salvation and the work of Christ, you might wonder, what is the ultimate goal of salvation? Well, we might think it's going to heaven at the end of our lives, and of course, that's a big part of it. As 1 Peter 1 verse 9 says, the goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls. And yet we can go further than that. What is the goal of the salvation of your souls? Well, it's not just that we can avoid uh, God's just wrath on sin and that we can have eternal life, but the ultimate goal of salvation is that we would uh, know the Lord, that we would worship and serve God with all of our being forever. That's what we see also from our text this morning of 2 Kings 5. In this text, we see a foreign army commander, Naaman of Syria, healed of his deadly skin disease, his leprosy. But even more important than that, we see a man healed of his idolatry. We see a man healed of his idolatry. That's at heart of this text. This man comes to know the Lord as the only true God. He comes to know the Lord as the only one worth worshiping and serving. And that's the most important thing of all. And this is something the Lord wants for all of us as well. So that brings us to the sermon theme. By receiving free salvation, Naaman comes to know the only true God. We're going to see that this salvation is, first of all, spoken of by a a young believer. Uh, Second of all, first rejected and then accepted by Naaman. And finally, uh, this salvation is exploited by a greedy Israelite. So first of all, this salvation is spoken of by a young believer. So our Old Testament text this morning takes a rare journey outside of the border's of Israel. The focus is on Naaman, a foreign army commander from Syria, who at this time was at war with Israel. And in every way, this man, Naaman, he seemed to have everything going for him in life. He was the top commander in the Syrian army. He was held in high esteem by his master, He was publicly honored by him as well. He gained great military victories, and he was a mighty warrior. But there was one big problem with Naaman. He was also a leper. And the way the original text put this is quite surprising. All these glowing achievements are first listed one by one, but at the end of it all, there's this giant, oh no. The phrase, he was a leper, is purposefully placed right at the end. In today's terms, we could think of introducing someone like this, uh, Sir Hubert Smith, a BSc, MD, PhD, Esquire, multimillionaire, terminal cancer patient. 
This powerful man, this super successful man is completely humbled by his disease. For the, you only, for the people who hold to the worldview of you only live once, so make it count, Naaman had everything going for him, but he could not deal with this fundamental problem that we all face, that everyone on earth faces. We are all sinners, and we are all going to face death at one point, unless the Lord returns first. And if this life and the things of this life are all that we have, then death is going to take it all away. And no matter how much we've accomplished in life, no matter how much human glory we've attained, all of that will never overcome death for us. And so we have to understand that as well, not only Naaman, but we have to understand that who are reading these sayings from Scripture. You know, don't make the same mistake of nearly every person who makes the cover of People magazine. That you pursue all kinds of earthly glory and wealth, and all the while death is completely pushed out of view so that you don't think about this fundamental problem that humans face. Now, after the introduction of Naaman, the text shifts focus on, on another character. Our text describes a young Israelite slave girl. The Syrians captured her on one of their raids into the Promised Land. She now worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And what a, what a contrast to Naaman she presents. Uh, she doesn't seem to have anything going for her whatsoever. She has no power. She has no honor. She has no freedom. She has no wealth. But she has one precious thing, infinitely more valuable than everything that Amon has. She has the gift of faith. She has faith in Yahweh, the Lord, the, the triune God of Israel. She has faith, a precious thing, so valuable. And look at how she puts her faith into action. She says to her mistress in verse 3, Oh, would that my Lord were before the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And understand how remarkable uh, this is, what she does for Naaman. Well, notice, first of all, the firmness of her faith. She has heard about the miracles of Elisha when she lived in Israel. She recognizes him to be a, a true prophet of God. And then most importantly, she firmly trusts God's power in Elisha to cure Naaman completely. There's not even a hint of doubt in her words the prophet in Samaria would indeed cure Naaman of his leprosy, no doubt in her mind. And so this also shows the work of the Lord in her life. She had been taken out of her covenantal home by her enemies, but the Lord 
sustained her faith, gave her marvelous faith to testify to the Lord's power in a foreign land. Again, notice, notice secondly, to whom she says this. She's saying these things to her very enemy. These are the very people who took her away from her home and enslaved her. And Naaman was in charge of it all. And yet, what does this little girl do? She shows compassion to him. She helps the very ones who hurt her. Amazing. What does this show about her? It shows she has, she has treasure in heaven. To quote 1 Peter 1 verse 4, she has an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept safely in heaven for her. People could take her away from her home, but they could never take away her God from her. They could never take away her salvation in the Lord. No one could rip that from her hands. It was secure in the heavens by God and His promises. So that's also a lesson to you children. Hold on to God no matter what happens in life. Just like this little Israelite girl, he's your God, hold on to him forever. Testify to him, tell people about him, no matter what. See, her words to Naaman's wife show she, she understands the gospel. She didn't deserve God's love, but she had received it. Naaman didn't deserve God's help either, but she pointed him to it anyways. And this captures a well-known saying about evangelism. Maybe you've heard it before. Evangelism, what is evangelism? Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And all, all of this shows the work of the Spirit in her life. The future teaching of the Lord Jesus is printed already on her heart. Think of Matthew 5, where the Lord says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. You know what? Her act of faith and love had huge implications and a a much bigger impact beyond this one act for Naaman. Little did this little Israelite girl know that her act of faith would be recorded in Scripture. Little did she know that people 3,000 years later would be reading about what she did in a place called Winnipeg in a country called Canada. It's amazing when you think about it. That her act so many thousands of years ago is, is recorded for us as well, that we might benefit from it. And not only us, but all Christians who have heard the story. And that's an encouragement for us as well to live by faith every day. And may our faith spur you on to acts of love for others. You don't know. What God will do with even the little acts of faith that you do day by day. See, God has the power to multiply their impact. 
cause a ripple effect of them to be felt thousands of years later and thousands of kilometers away. That brings us to our second point. Well, when Naaman heard this girl's message, he wasted no time. He conferred with the king, and the king gave his blessing, sent Naaman to Israel uh, with a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman went on his way, but he didn't travel to Israel only with this letter from his king. He brought with him a huge amount of money, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. This gift would make anyone in Israel uh, rich, incredibly rich. And with this huge chunk of change uh, carried with Naaman, seek his healing, we see something else as well. We see the religion of the natural person. You see, in the heart of all people, there is this idea that we need to pay for our salvation. The default religion of our heart is a, is a works-based religion. A works-based religion says, if God is going to do something for me, then I, I need to work for it, and I need to pay him back. Surely salvation can't be free, can it? That's the religion of natural man. And that's what we see in Naaman as well. When he arrived in Samaria... Well, Naaman delivered his letter to the king of Israel. It read as follows, When this letter reaches you, know that I sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, upon reading this letter, the king of Israel nearly had a nervous breakdown. He tore his clothes and cried out, Am I God that I can cure this leprosy? And surely this was only a pretense for starting a war. And what a contrast between the king of Israel and that, that little Israelite slave girl at the beginning of our text. This king has no idea what to do or who can help him. The girl knew immediately where to look for help, the Lord's prophet. But he has little or no faith, and so he has no action as well. And one of the sub-themes of this text is this, there's a God and there is a true prophet of God in Israel. The little slave girl knew it. The king of Israel didn't. And Naaman is about to discover it. But the real question is, do you know it? Do you have the faith of this Israelite slave girl or the lack of faith of this king of Israel? But Naaman... Didn't know it yet, but he's about to discover it. You can see this in Elisha's response to the king's actions. He said to him, Why did you tear your clothes? Send Naaman to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Remind you of the time of Christ also. Many in the time of Christ uh, did not recognize him, Jesus, to be the Son of God and the true prophet of God. But there was a Roman centurion who did, who believed. Much like Naaman, he was a commander in a foreign army. He said to Christ, just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And in response, Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one in Israel, nowhere in Israel have I found such faith. 
Now, Naaman the Syrian commander was not yet at this point. But he went down to Elisha's house. He went with his entire entourage. But lo and behold, Elisha didn't even come out to meet Naaman, who'd come with all of his pomp. But Elisha, he merely sent a humble servant and gave him a simple message. Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. Well, even though Naaman wanted to be healed really badly, he did not want to hear this message. You can almost hear him spitting and sputtering with rage. Well, I never... Of all the nerve of this Israelite prophet, doesn't he know who I am? He didn't even come out to meet me, such an important man at that. And what kind of cure is this? Surely a real prophet would do something spectacular and heal me. And why the Jordan River? Am I really going to get clean by bathing seven times in this muddy river? Not the most humble response, is it? Maybe we shake our heads, but perhaps we can understand it in a way. Imagine you had a terrible skin disease and the doctor told you, go down, I want you to go down to the forks in Winnipeg and wash seven times in the Red River there. Well, you might be very disgusted. Red River at the forks? Won't that make things worse? What am I going to find? An old car tire, abandoned shopping cart, who knows what else, probably not healing. So Naaman stumbled at the message Elisha gave him. And you know what? Many people stumble in the same way at the message of Christ and at the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone, it offends many people in this world. You see, what do we need to do in order to be saved from death and God's judgment? Well, there's nothing spectacular, that's for sure. There's nothing we can do by our own strength. Instead, we need to put our faith or trust in a bleeding man dying on a cross. We need to give up any hope of gaining salvation by our own effort and instead hope entirely in Jesus' gruesome death in our place. That's a message of salvation. And this is what is referred to as the offense of the cross. Many people don't like this message of Christ crucified. It's because it's so humbling. It grates against our pride. 1 Corinthians 1 puts it like this, The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. 
We see a picture of this in Amon's rejection of Elisha's message, offended by the message. And like Elisha did, the message of salvation in Christ is not even spoken to us directly by Christ himself. Instead, Christ sends us messengers telling us uh, to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And the the messengers, they're just weak human instruments. We are just jars of clay. We have faults and imperfections. But it's still by the message they bring, sent by Christ, that we are saved from our sins if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. As 1 Corinthians 1 also says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to save those who believe. So we must take care not to be offended by that message, but to receive it in faith. See, Naaman first rejected the message, but his servants wisely came to talk some sense into him. You know, why don't you just try it? We have leprosy. What have you got to lose? It's like trying to convince someone to believe in Jesus. You know, you can see it, but somehow they can't. You want to plead with them. Why would you reject this message? Don't you understand that you need salvation? You need your sins forgiven. It's so simple. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why would you reject it in your heart? Thankfully, by God's grace, Naaman accepted his servant's wise advice. He went down to the Jordan River. He washed seven times, and he was healed. The skin of this battle-worn army commander was made smooth and healthy again, just like that of a young child. And the beauty of the story is that it so clearly points us to the saving work of Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, beloved, and you will be saved. See, cleansing from your sins and the blood of Christ and your sins, they will be washed away forever. You will be perfectly clean with not one sin remaining. And you will be spotless and pure in Christ before your God. That's the message of salvation. Come to Christ, the blood of Christ, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. It was through this free salvation, Naaman comes to know the Lord as the only God. When he returned to Elisha, what did he say? Did he say, hooray, my leprosy is healed? Maybe he did say some of that, and that would be great. That was great. He confessed, I know now that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And this is actually the most important thing he gains. He was cleansed from his idolatry. This is far better than ever being cleansed from his leprosy. He has come to know the Lord as the only God. And this is the most important goal of the gospel also. What's the goal of the forgiveness of sins? Yes, it's our salvation. But not just that we would get to go to heaven. Yes, that's important. That we would know the Lord as the only God. 
that we would serve him and worship him, him alone, that we would enjoy eternal fellowship with him for all eternity. And this is the treasure that Naaman gained. Now Naaman then asked Elisha some peculiar questions. He first asked for a load of dirt. That was so that he could sacrifice only to the Lord. But then he also asks for forgiveness. This is where things get interesting. He says, when my master goes into the house of Rimon, idol in Syria, to worship there, and he worships leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Now, you might wonder, what is Naaman saying with these words? Is he asking for forgiveness for a future sin? Kind of, kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, there are two possibilities here. The first uh, from the text might be that he's saying, I'm never going to worship Rimon again myself. However, I am an aid to the king, and when he worships Rimon, I will be required to steady him. So when I bow down, I'm not worshiping this false god, but merely doing my duty to help the king. And if this is indeed the understanding that the Lord is being very generous to a new convert, Elisha tells him, go in peace. But the second understanding requires a different, a slightly different translation of the Hebrew. Hebrew grammar is not as precise as English grammar. It could be that Naaman is saying, when I previously worshipped in the house of Ramon, as was my custom, helping the king, as I was required in Syria, please may the Lord forgive me, for that practice of my idolatry. And that could be because he just pledged allegiance to the God of Israel. Now, grammatically, the first option seems more likely, but theologically, the second option seems more likely, and that's where I tend to, to understand here. But whatever the case, one thing we need to be clear on, we can never take a verse like this, to excuse a future sin. You know, oh, look, Naaman asked leniency for a future sin. Uh, I'm going to do the same. I know I'm going to commit the sin. I'll, I'll ask forgiveness ahead of time. It simply does not arise from this text. That brings us to our last point. So Naaman was healed and committed himself to sacrificing only to the Lord, but this was not the end of the story Naaman had been overjoyed at his healing. Instead of going right back to Syria, he made his way back to Elisha's house, and he wanted to give Elisha a gift with the huge amount of money that he brought. And Elisha refused to take anything from Naaman, not even one penny, not even one pair of socks. We might wonder why. Why would he refuse? After all, Elisha received gifts from people before. Just look at the previous chapter, 2 Kings 4. But his refusal to accept money at this point is keeping with the gospel message. That salvation is free. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't earn salvation from God. Instead, God graciously grants it as a gift to whomever he wishes. As those washed in the blood of Christ, we are recipients of pure grace from God. Even when Naaman insisted, Elisha absolutely refused. However, 
There was someone else there who didn't like it. This was Elisha's servant, Gehazi. And he coveted Naaman's money. And so after Naaman went a short ways away, Gehazi came running after him. And when Naaman asked him if all was well, Gehazi then told a bold-faced lie. After you left, my master sent me to you because we have two unexpected guests coming. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman was only happy to give him two talents of silver. And he even made a few of his servants carry the stuff back for Gehazi. Now, Gehazi might seem to have gained a lot here, but how foolish this was. He lied to gain these things from Naaman. And lying is a work of the devil. And he will have to lie again to cover up his first lie. That's what happens when you start lying. You construct a false reality, and in order to try to hold it together, you need to tell more lies. It doesn't seem to stop. And he won't even be able to enjoy his newly found riches either. What's he going to do? He's a servant of Elisha. Is he going to wear his new clothes in front of Elisha? Hey, Gehazi, nice clothes. Where did you get them? Nowhere. The deceitfulness of wealth has blinded Gehazi's eyes. How foolish this is. Does he think he'll get away with this? Doesn't he understand that Elisha is a prophet of the Lord? The Lord sees all things. Think of Psalm 139, which we sang, God sees everything, everything we do. But that's how it is with sin. Sin blinds us to reality. And if you play around with sinful desires, eventually they will blind you, and you will just act upon them no matter what. Now, what was the problem with this sin of Gehazi? Why was it wrong to accept this gift? Well, look at what Elisha says to him when he returns. Was this the time to be accepting gifts, money, and garments? Was this the time? Why does he say this? It's because Gehazi's actions have just corrupted the message of salvation to Naaman. Remember, salvation is a gift. Naaman has just learned about God's free grace. And woe to the one who corrupts that. He had to know that the Lord was unlike any other God he has served in his life. He is gracious and he gives salvation as a gift, but Gehazi was corrupting that by his greed. We need to be on guard as well. You see, when someone first comes to faith in, in Christ by the grace of God, they're still at a vulnerable stage. They can still easily go astray. They're often not yet firmly founded in the gospel of Christ. So we need to take care that we don't distort the gospel message for them. We must watch our lifestyle that we don't live hip- hypocritical lives. Not only for the glory of God, but lest we damage their faith. You see, 
new believers will look at you and how you live as a model of what it means to be a Christian. So let's take care that everyone can see Christ in us no matter what. As people who shun evil and, and live for the glory of God. Gehazi got more than he bargained for when he took Naaman's money. Elisha told him, the leprosy of Naaman will now cling to you and to your descendants forever. Gehazi wanted Naaman's stuff, and so he also got Naaman's leprosy. God's punishment always fits the sin. See, sin is never worth it, beloved. It's never worth it. But this did not mean that Gehazi was outside the reach of God's grace. Yes, he was disciplined. But if he turned to God in repentance, he would be forgiven too. And no matter how badly we might fall, you can always turn to the Lord, seek His mercy, and there will be forgiveness for us as well. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 69.